Turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be reading the end of this chapter, which is also the end of this book, starting in verse 18 of chapter 4. But before I read it, let me ask you all a question. Has God given you everything you need? Has God given you everything you need? That's an important question. And often, we think that there is much that we need that we don't have. But in this short little passage, we read Paul reminding us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that God will supply all of our needs. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? <clears throat> Again, Philippians four eighteen through 23. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. You may be seated. Now, when we read this promise from God that he will supply all of our needs, sometimes it can be tempting for us to interpret that in a future sense that uh, basically means it has nothing to do with this life right now. He will supply all of our needs eventually in the life to come. Ultimately, he will supply all of our needs in that sense. We will have everything we need uh, in heaven, right? There's no doubt about that. But it's not just in that ultimate eternal sense, eventually, that Paul is speaking when he says God will supply all your needs. And part of the reason that you know this is because he's speaking in the context of them having just met his physical immediate needs right now by sending money to him, sending a gift. And that's what we read in verse 18. He has everything he needs having received what they sent him. 
And then he turns around and says, and God will supply all of your needs. So in that context, it's clear that he's speaking not of some eventual, eternal, after, uh, after, we has, after we have left this life sense, right? He's speaking here and now to the Philippians, to the Philippian church. They had given him money. Now, in that context, recognizing that he's speaking, having just gotten money from them and said, now my needs are met and God will supply your needs, the temptation for us regarding money, well, there's many, right? (laughs) After all, money is a root of all sorts of evil. But one of the temptations that we need to recognize here is that... uh, we would not give to the ministry of the gospel or that we would uh, not give to the church or not give in support of gospel ministers like Paul because we are worried about our own needs, right? Isn't that an, isn't that an obvious first thing that we run into? Well, if I give this money, what's going to happen about my needs, right? I have certain needs. I need food. I need clothing. I need that latest Xbox game, right? Now, all of a sudden, right there, you realize, oh, wait, there's needs, and then there's not-so-needy needs, right? There's... There's levels of need that we, that we use the word very broadly, and it's appropriate first for us to realize that there are needs, and then there are wants. And the promise here is not that God will give you everything you want, right? The, God, the promise is that God will supply all your needs. And so... we do face a challenge in thinking about them having given generously to Paul. Are we going to do the same by faith? Now, the Lord loves a cheerful giver, right? You guys have heard that before? The Lord loves a cheerful giver. And so, the point of that Verse, the point of that statement is to remind us that God does not love a, what? A grudging, grumpy, faithless, uh, duty-bound, I guess I have to do it, giver. Right? Now, the difference between those things is obvious, You can tell when someone is giving grudgingly or giving cheerfully. You can tell when someone is obeying cheerfully or obeying grudgingly. And it's not that there is no point in obeying grudgingly. After all, it will prevent you from being disciplined. Right? And yet, it's not what we're to do, is it? It's not the goal. So think about 
Think about money. Think about time. There's another temptation. The first temptation is to not give. You know, the second temptation is to give but grudgingly, or to give but fearfully. Because can we really believe that God will supply our needs? Then there's the temptations that come after you've given. Oh no. What am I going to do? I've given. And how are my needs going to be met? Right? You may have given thoughtlessly, which can be confused for cheerfully, right? And then, and then realize, ah, there's less money in my bank account now. I was, I forgot, you know, I, I have needs. We begin to worry that there won't be enough left for us. It's at that point that it is helpful for us to remember this promise. God will supply all your needs. God will supply all your needs. And to remember that in Psalm 50 verse 10 we read, For every beast of the forest is mine. This is God speaking. The cattle on a thousand hills. God has no lack of resources to provide for us, does he? We're not used to thinking about cattle very much today or thinking of them as resources, but cattle are food, people. (laughs) That's what we eat. So we're talking about the basic necessities of life. There's no lack in God's economy. He has absolutely everything at his disposal to give to you. You look around and you see desert. You see no water. You see no food. And you begin to grumble and you begin to worry like the Israelites in that exact circumstance, right? Not only do I not have enough to eat right now, not only am I hungry right now, not only am I worried about whether I'm going to have enough water to survive the next three days, because that's about as long as you can survive without water, right? Not only, but it's impossible for me to get food. There's nothing around. There are no cattle. Everybody has eaten all of their food. And yet, somehow God is able to provide, isn't he? Isn't that a miracle? That's that's God. There's no lack of resources. He can send manna out of heaven. Food falls on the ground. He supplies your needs. He can send birds from who knows where. What hill did they come from? What country did they leave from? And and here they come and they fly and they... They, there's so many of them, and you're eating so much that you can't stand it. God has 
no shortage of food to meet our needs. And water. Water in the desert. This is, this is a theme in the Bible, right? Water in the desert. Because why? Well, because we know in the desert our need for water is huge and we realize how reliant we are on God. And, and look around. There's no water. And what does God do for his people? Water. Coming up out of the ground. Coming out of a rock. A rock! What? You, I mean, at least coming out of the ground, you think, well, you know, you dig enough, and maybe they just meant that they dug a well. No, no. A flowing out of a rock. Water. Living water. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. That... That begins to give you a small picture of what God has at his command, the resources that he has. And you know what? Where did that water come from? Did it come from deep down in the ground? We have no idea. Maybe God just made it because he's the creator. Where did the birds come from? They might have just appeared because God said, let there be birds. They're flying. Suddenly there's there's air and then there's birds flying. This is how God is able to act. There is no shortage, right? God has everything at his disposal and far beyond everything at his disposal, he has his word, his creative, powerful word. There is no lack. Anything that he wants to do, anything that he wants to provide, anything that he wants to create, it is. Just like that. So, do you have anything to worry about when God is on your side? When God is promising to provide, do you have anything to worry about? No. Do you have to worry that he's powerful enough? No. Do you have to worry that he will keep his promise? No. Do you have to worry that he loves you enough to bother with you? No. Think about the Israelites. I mean, yikes, right? Why did he choose them? Did he choose them because they were a glorious people? No, they were were nobody. Did he choose them because they were so lovable? No, they weren't particularly. Did he choose them because of anything that was good in them? No. Of course, I'm not speaking of the Israelites, am I? I'm speaking of us. Is there anything good and holy and lovable in you apart from God making you those things? No. So can you give to God? Can you give to his work without fear? 
Can you give trusting him to provide? Absolutely. Now, there is a cost, isn't there? There is a cost to giving anything. The moment you give it, you don't have it, right? Jesus speaks of the cost of following him. And he says that the things we give up in order to follow him will be given back. Now, what are the things that we may give up to follow him? Do, do any of you kids remember the, the, some of the things that he talks about right there? The disciples said that they had left everything to follow him. What kinds of things had they left? They had left their houses. They had left family. Listen to what Jesus says about when we give things up to follow him. He says, the man who has given things up will receive a hundred times as much. A hundred times as much. Now, in the present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And so what we see in that verse is explaining how when God says he's going to provide all of our needs, he's going to supply everything for us, he is talking both now in the present and in the future and in eternity, right? Jesus says in this present age and in the age to come, he speaks of what God will supply, about what God will give back to us. And so it's not just the ultimate sense. Well, ultimately, we will have God in heaven, and so we will have every need supplied. No, in this present age, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms, and these are the things that it may require us to give up in order to follow him. Think of the tension that you have in relationships because you have chosen to, by faith, follow God. Tension in family relations. Maybe no further contact with them. This is to give them up in order to follow Jesus. And yet you will receive from his hand because he supplies all your needs. Now, one of the ways that God supplies all of our needs is by teaching us contentment because contentment is one of our needs. And so when we studied contentment a couple of Sundays ago, one of the things that happens there is we begin to realize that our needs are a lot less than our wants, right? That's part of what contentment requires us 
to recognize. And so that's part of how God supplies our needs, is by teaching us contentment. Now think about this. Who is more richly provided for? Who is better supplied? The man with very little, who is content, or the man with a lot, who is discontent? Who's better supplied? Who's better provided for? Who's better able to face life? The man who's content. He's better provided for, isn't he? And so that contentment itself is part of God richly providing for us. Him teaching us contentment. In other words, the very act of sacrifice, of giving up for God, is part of how he provides for us because it is through that that we learn faith. It is through that that we learn contentment. It is through that act of giving up to God, of sacrificing for him, that he makes us into what we need to be. And so we are stronger. We are better prepared to face the future. And this is part of what we need as Christians. This is part of what being taught to number our days is about. Recognizing that we are mortal, recognizing that we will not live forever, being taught to number our days means thinking about death, doesn't it? Now, why is that helpful? Why why do we pray, Lord, teach us to number our days? Because that's necessary for us to be prepared for the future. And so you think, you know, it's not that pleasant to think about my mortality. It's not that pleasant to think about death. It's not that pleasant to think, and, and yet we're told, better to be in the house of mourning. But I would prefer the house of rejoicing. Right? Who wouldn't? And yet, when we are taught to number our days, we are taught to look to him. And so this is how God supplies our needs. We are reminded of our mortality, and this is part of him supplying what we need. What we need is to remember that one day we will die, and after that we will be judged. And this is part of how God meets our needs. He supplies our needs. In other words, I'm trying to get you to realize that your needs are much broader than you have thought they are when we ask the question, has God given you everything you need? You think, well, yeah, I've got clothes, and I've got food, and I've got something to drink, and I've got a house to live in. I I guess that's really all I need, right? God's supplied my need. And I say, is that all you need? Physically, that's all you need. What about spiritually? Has God met your needs? Has he provided what you need? Now, physically, bodily, let's let's return to that. Just for a minute here.
Paul suffered a thorn in the flesh, didn't he? A thorn in the flesh. Have, have any of you kids ever gotten a thorn stuck in your arm or your leg? Is it, is it nice? You like that? No. I don't like it either. <clears throat> what about a thorn right, right there, right in that spot, right between your thumb and your fingers? That You've gotten that too? Yeah. That really hurts, doesn't it? And have you ever had a thorn that gets jabbed in and then breaks off of the bush that it was on, and so it's just sticking in you, and you can look at it? And you're like, ah. And, and then have you ever had it break off in your skin? It's not, it's not nice, is it? This is what Paul is talking about when he says that he has a thorn in the flesh that God has given him. That means it's really unpleasant. It's really painful. It's really irritating. And so he prayed that God would take away that thorn in his flesh, right? We don't know exactly what it was. But in the flesh means, hey, here, right now, in this body, right? And God did not take away the thorn. But God answered, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. And so Paul continues and he says, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Now what sorts of weaknesses can we face, can we have in this life, in this body? Well, one weakness that comes to mind immediately is arthritis. You think about arthritis because it's painful and because it causes your, if you get arthritis in your arms and your hands, it causes your, your strength to go away. And now you have weakness. And it's harder to grip things. It's harder to hold things. You can't open jars anymore, right? And, and what can you do about it? There's not much that you can do about it, right? It's just one, one little kind of weakness that we can face. What about the weakness of uh, something in your body that just doesn't work right? Maybe it's your pancreas. Maybe it's your thyroid. Maybe it's your brain. It could be any part of your body, right? And that's a weakness. And do you want that? No. You want your body to work right, don't you? And it's precisely there that we realize when Jesus, when God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. We realize that's God supplying everything that we need.
Sometimes God provides for our needs by changing our needs. Say that again. Sometimes God provides for our needs by changing our needs. And it's in this way that we begin to realize why it is that Christians worry less about our bodies than the rest of America. And that this is good and right. In 1 Timothy 4.8 we read, For bodily discipline is only of little profit. And I want all of us to remember that here. Bodily discipline includes exercising. It includes your diet. It includes all of the uh, mind-strengthening activities that you play on your phone. Everything that you think I ought to undertake on behalf of my physical body for my physical well-being, right? And that includes your your mental well-being and your emotional well-being, right? All of that is a little benefit to it. But basically, hey, you know, let's remember what this says. It's only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so we as Christians must worry less about our bodies than the rest of the people around us. Because we know that this life is not all there is. If this life is all that there is, then yeah, you better worry. You better worry a lot about your body. Because it's all you have. And yet, this life is not all that there is. You also have a soul, and you know it. And it will live forever. And so that changes the calculation a lot about where you ought to be putting your time and energy and discipline, doesn't it? You see how that changes your needs? We also read Jesus answering and saying, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Whoa, talk about changing your needs. Right? Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then you, you read him later on talking to his disciples, and he's like, I've got food you don't know about. And they're going, did anybody bring him bread? I, I don't remember him having any food. He doesn't have any like hidden pockets in there, does he? Where did he get food that we didn't know about? We bring all the food. And what's he saying? He's saying, I eat God's word. I feed on God's word, and it meets my needs. 
It's a bigger need than any bread you can give me. It's a, it's a, it's a richer supply. Now, what does that mean for us? It means God has supplied our needs, doesn't it? He has given us his word. He has given us solid food from the preaching of God's word. And that that is central to our needs. And until we recognize appropriately, have our eyes open to what our needs actually are, we're not going to be Eating healthily, right? So part of how God meets our needs is by giving us that word where Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, I better think more broadly than just I have food, I have drink, I have clothes, I have a house. Have all my needs been met? Yes, Your needs have been met because he has given you his word. And he has given you shepherds to keep watch over you. And he's given you preachers because he knows your true needs. And he's willing to change them on you. So you begin to realize what your true needs are. Now, think about in this context walking away from what God has supplied. What a foolish thing to do. In the wilderness, when you don't have food and you realize, oh, I don't have food, I need food, and then God gives manna, only the fool walks out of camp and says, I'm going to go hunting antelope. There are no antelope, and God has given you food. Now eat it. And so it is with the word of God and with the preaching of his word. Who will hear unless it's preached? And who will preach unless somebody is sent? Who did the sending? God did. Jesus gave his church the Great Commission. said, go, go. Why? Because he knew our needs. And he provides, he supplies our needs. What a beautiful thing. Don't walk away from it. Don't despise it. Don't turn to, don't turn to scratching in the mud for food when there's manna. Don't be trying to dig worms. When there's good preaching, when there's God's word, don't turn to foolishness. Don't turn to cotton candy. So here in this life, here and now, God has met your needs. He supplies your needs. But yes, it is also true that it is meant in that ultimate sense of eternity. Now I'm going to ask a new question here. I asked first, has God given you everything you need? But now let me, let me ask you another question. A more painful question, can Christians die? Can Christians die? Yeah, they they can, can't they? They do. Can Christians get cancer? Can Christians get the coronavirus? 
can Christians go hungry? Can Christians starve? Can Christians lose their home? I hear a lot. It sounds like hissing out there. I'm like, I got to get the boo too, right? You know, is this a. I hear yeses. Sorry, not hisses. Yeah, it's yeses. Good job, kids. You're answering correctly. Christians can die. Christians can have not enough food to survive. Christians can be disabled and sickly. Christians can be physically and mentally weak. Christians can feel like life isn't fair, can't they? Now, does that mean that God is not supplying your need? If these things can happen to Christians, is God providing everything that they need? Yes, God is still providing everything that we need. We suffer these things so that he will be glorified in us, as we saw with Paul with that thorn in the flesh, right? And we need that. We need God to be made visible, to be glorified in us. And yes, God is providing everything that we need because we suffer these things so that we will be sanctified. And we need that. And is he supplying, is he providing everything that we need? Yes, because we do not suffer those things alone. But he is with us. And he walks with us through those times of want, times of sorrow, times of pain, difficulty, and ultimately, he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And so all of the all of the bad things that you can think of that can happen lead ultimately to that ultimate yikes, woe, we're going to die. There is no greater enemy, that final enemy, death. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Has God given you everything you need? If he's walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death, he is everything that you need. And he is there with you. And he is there for you. You have what you need. We have what we need. So let us not be ungrateful for what he's given us. Let us not be discontent with what he's given us. 
And let us not be worried about the future. About whether we'll have everything we need. And let us not be fearful of the troubles that we will face. And let us not hesitate to give back to him and to his work. Let us remember that he is with us and that he richly supplies all of our needs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.